So if I was to describe being a dad to you, I would say it's an awesome, challenging privilege, right? It's very, very challenging, but yet it's a privilege. There's so many things that fathering you could say about, but one thing is for sure, having kids has brought out the best and the worst in me. There's days when I feel like, you know, out there at the, the photo booth, you can raise the little number one dad thing and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm nailing this thing. I'm pretty good at a dad thing, right? And immediately the next moment you get this like, I shouldn't be a dad. I'm scarring my kids for life kind of feeling, right? Like, for example, my kids are squabbling and I come in and I'm like, guys, just be calm. But my voice is like reflecting. I have no idea what calm even looks like. I can't control myself and I'm calling them to control themselves. Or just a couple of weeks ago, my kids got in another spat with one another. I was a little exasperated dealing with the situation several times. And so I ran downstairs rushed to discipline, no listening, no justification for what they were doing, and just rushed into it. Seconds later, realized as one of my sons crying and explained the situation that I had totally misread the whole thing. This issue wasn't like the previous issue I had dealt with, and I just totally dropped the ball and misplayed as a dad, and I felt like this giant heel. I felt awful. So it brings out the best and brings out the worst in us. And that's why we need God's grace, right? We need God's grace. We need God's direction. We need to continually look to him as father. So if you're a proud and selfish man today uh, and you're considering being a father, I would just say you better be ready to get let, let go of the pride and the selfishness because it doesn't last, right? If you want to be married, you got to re- get rid of it. If you want to be a Christian, you got to get rid of it. When I became a Christian, I realized God showed me pretty quickly, hey, you're a selfish person. Like, oh man, I'm a selfish person. Let's work on this. Then I got married and lo and behold, I was still pretty selfish. I was actually realizing I'm even more selfish than I thought. And then I had kids. And if you didn't think you were selfish, just wait till you have kids because you realize how much of your life you ha- revolves around you. So God's done some great work on me through having kids and he has more to do, I know. But being a dad is definitely a challenge at times and also a privilege. Around here, as we call it, Aaron mentioned, it's stewardship, right? We don't own our kids. We're stewards of them. That's easy to say, really hard to do, really hard to do, but we do it for God's glory. Hopefully you're in agreement with that approach. Anybody here on board with the idea of like stewardship versus ownership? You're like, I'll steward my kids rather than owner. You can like nod if you're like, yeah, even if you don't have kids and you're like, that sounds like a good idea. Good philosophy when I get there. Yep, yep. We need God's word if we're going to do that. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. I hope you brought a Bible. If you don't have one, we'll pass you one after the service. You can get it from our Welcome Center, and we just love God's word. Getting into it, it's what really, really matters. Just before we actually read Galatians 6, though, I do need to just let you know and acknowledge that I'm not just speaking to dads in the room. The message I have here this morning, I'm specifically applying it to fathers, but I recognize this room is filled with a variety of people. Not all of us are dads, right? Some of you today might actually be a challenging day because you hoped to be a father by today, but you aren't. For a variety of reasons, and there could be lots of them, but for a variety of reasons, you're maybe not a dad yet today, and that that grieves you. And I just want you to know that it grieves us. It grieves me. Your pain is our pain. For some, it might be a challenging day because your dad's not involved in your life in any way. Or perhaps this is the year your dad has passed away and this is your first Father's Day without him. That can be a challenge. And I just want to acknowledge that and acknowledge that for some of you sitting in the room, that's where you are today. For some, 
It may be challenging today because your dad is still not saved. You've been praying for him. Each Father's Day that rolls around, you're maybe reminded, my dad's not saved. Hey, we want to pray with you. We want to remind you, don't give up hope. God can change the hardest hearts. And so we're praying with you, but we're bearing that burden with you. We're family, right? We are family. Your pain is my pain. Your burden, my burden. By the same token, though, let me just remind you as well, we're family, so your joy is my joy. Our joy is your joy. So some of you, this is the first Father's Day you get to celebrate Father's Day as a new dad, a newly minted dad, and your joy is our joy. You don't get to hog it all to yourself. I'm going to claim some of that, right? That's, that's awesome. We're going to share that. Maybe your dad got saved this year, or maybe dad got recommitted and involved in your life this year. Your joy is our joy, okay? We are family. We're doing this together, together through the good and the hard So let's get into the Bible. If you've ever read the letter of Galatians, you know the Apostle Paul is fired up about the gospel. He is passionate about living for the Lord, 100%. He calls himself a servant of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He defines his identity in who he's working for, for Jesus. And he's ministering to this church. He's writing to this church in Galatia because this church had actually started out well, on the right foot, you could say, but quickly they swerved and polluted the gospel. They got confused. They started bringing in these Jewish customs that really weren't supposed to be over them, but they, they brought them in kind of thinking, oh, maybe if we, maybe we do need to be circumcised as Gentiles to follow God. Maybe that actually is righteous. And that's like what we need to do. And Paul is reminding them, hey, don't pollute the gospel. There is no other gospel. It's by faith alone. And so this is what he says. And near the end of Galatians, He's giving them some final basic Christian principles. You'll know this stuff. If you've been around the church or even church culture at all, or perhaps even in our culture, you may know some of these phrases because they're so often said. But we need to understand them properly. So Galatians 6 verses 7 to 10, you can turn there and we'll read. This is God's word. Remember that. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This passage has broad application that could absolutely apply to each one of you. Today, I'm going to zero in on the dads, but if you're not a dad here, don't, don't just tune out. You can definitely tag along and pick up a ton from this passage. But we're going to see today three qualities that I believe are absolutely essential for good, godly, wise fathers. And the first one is this. A wise and a godly father is clear-headed about how God's world works. There is, make no mistake, a direct connection between clarity and godliness. You don't have to be a bright five-star theologian knowing how to nuance the Greek text and take it all apart. You don't need to know all that in order to be godly. But you do need to be clear-minded about a few things, a few core things that you hold with conviction. Today, just like in Paul's day, Deception is far too common among believers. The Galatians started out well, 
But they started, they started out by believing Christ and faith alone. But then along came these Jews, these Jewish people who tried to convince them of the good works of the law, that those things they needed to do to continue in faith. That the old covenant signs, as I mentioned, circumcision were necessary. And some of them were starting to be convinced. So Paul writes to them and he writes this. He says in Galatians 3, 3, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I.e., having begun by faith in Christ alone, are you now starting to tack on and rely on the works of the law for your justification? That's not how it works, right? The sinful human nature, nature, the flesh never produces spiritual growth. You don't sow to the flesh if you want to grow in the spirit. Satan's aim, however, is to always deceive us, to maybe make us think that maybe there is some benefit to doing that, things that way. And I think when Satan wants to deceive us, the first thing he wants to do is confuse us because confusion and deception are tied together. You know, if I spent some time with you and asked you, hey, or just asked in the church even today, hey, is salvation, is it by faith alone or do you have to do good works to be saved? Probably everybody would realize, okay, I think it's, I think it's faith alone based on what he said already, right? You may know with confidence it's faith alone. But then if you sat down for an hour with somebody who liked to twist scripture and take things out of context and use logical fallacies and build up this argument that it's really by works you're saved, you might get so confused that then it would be prime time to deceive you into actually thinking that works save you. My point is, you can confuse someone and when you've confused them and they're like, I don't know, some say this, some say that, then prime time for deception to come in. And to be like, yeah, no, actually it is this and it's the wrong thing, right? So confusion and deception. It's way easier to deceive in confusion because that's where deception lives, is in confusion. And Paul knows that. So he warned the Galatians clearly. He said, don't be deceived. In other words, make no mistake. God is not mocked. Don't turn up your nose to God and think he's not, and he's not paying attention to this. Make no mistake. God cannot be mocked. You cannot fool God. And I suppose we all realize that at some level that you can't fool God. If you really understand God is the sovereign of the universe, there's not really any way you could wrap your head around, oh, I can, I can fool God. But that's where sin is incredibly persistent and takes our eyes off of God, twists the truth, and then causes us to act in a way and convinces us we should act in a way that shows we actually think we can fool God. It's not true. You may take your eyes off of God, but don't make the mistake of thinking he's taken your, his eyes off of you. That's not how it works. God says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a rule that's in place in our natural world. And it's a rule that he intends to show is also true in the spiritual world. You don't plant apple seeds and get pear trees. You don't plant bean seeds and get pepper plants you get what you sow. From Genesis 1 verse 11, this is incredible. Genesis 1 verse 11, God creates the world and he says that things are going to produce fruit according to their kind. So for thousands of years, since God created the world, it hasn't failed. You still to this day plant an apple seed and if the apple seed grows, produces apples. Consistent, remarkably consistent. You could, also, you could almost call it a law. And that same concept is true in the spiritual world. And we're a fool if we think that it's not true. 
you reap what you sow. Now, at first glance, as you read that, you may think, oh, that sounds a lot like what my friends talk about, like karma, right? This whole idea of this Eastern belief of karma, which teaches you reap what you sow, essentially, based on your past, right? Your past in this life, and they, you know, they, they speculate about lives before. They don't, that's not true. But they say your past in this life and lives before affects your fate today and in the future. So if you did lots of good in the past, you'll reap lots of good in the future. If you did lots of bad in the past, you're going to reap lots of bad in the future. Karma's not the gospel, just so you know. Parts of it are strikingly close, though. And so you got to understand this. Where karma gets it right is that you do reap what you sow in terms of evil. When you do evil, you reap evil. Romans, this is so clear in Romans. The wages of sin is death. 100%. Nobody gets to escape that. You do evil, you reap evil. 100%. But where karma also assumes and gets it wrong is that we can do good that can sow into the future. So it says, hey, you can do all these good things apart from God, and that will affect your future for good. The Bible doesn't teach that, though. The Bible actually teaches we're all born sinners, and that apart from God at work in our life, everything you bring to him, the best of your best, is junk to God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, that your righteous acts are like filthy rags before God if they're not, first, there's not a renovation of the heart that God does. So you bring the best of your best. Your neighbors bring the best of their best before God. You can't bring good. It's filthy. Lock on to that. You cannot bring the good that you want. While sin equals death, good works do not equal life. Yeah, you can buy coffee for someone and they might buy coffee back for you. That, that sometimes happens, but you do not reap eternal life. And so that's where karma gets it really wrong. Your sin equals death. No amount of goodness outweighs that sin. You need to be crystal clear on this, dads. Crystal clear. The awesome news, and some of you are like waiting for this. The awesome news is that in the gospel, it's, there's, there's something else that I didn't let you know yet. And that is that through faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, you can actually be spared eternal condemnation freely, the eternal condemnation that you deserve. So we don't get what we deserve because Jesus got what he didn't deserve. That kind of logic does not work with karma. That kind of logic doesn't work even in our world. Hey, wait, you do all this evil and then without any work of your own, simply placing faith in Jesus and what he did, you're now spared eternal condemnation you don't have to pay. That's the awesome news of the gospel. And that's why it's so awesome. Now, here's the key phrase that we were talking about. You reap what you sow. And there's a key to unlocking that phrase to understand it for the Christian. You need to know this and be super clear on this. And that is without God's work in our lives, without faith in Jesus as the foundation and the renewal of the Holy Spirit first, you actually have no access to good seed to sow. So you go to the hardware store looking for seed and you're like, I want to I wanna sow some good seed, and, but it's not on the shelves. You can't buy it. You can't get it. You have zero access to it. You need to lock onto this. Without God first renovating your heart, doing the work, he calls you, hey, you reap what you sow, but you don't have the ability to sow good seed. 
All that you sow is bad. Even when it looks good, it's bad. You can only sow tainted seed. It's a work of God's grace then that we can even sow seed in the first place. That's good. This, dads, is critical information. If we're going to lead our families and steward our role appropriately, there's a few things we need to be crystal clear on. Again, we don't need to be bright, brilliant theologians. That's for some, but not for all. But we have to be clear and hold conviction and communicate to our children the core of the gospel. As we train them, we need to teach them the way God has created the world to work, both the physical and the spiritual. Most of us as dads are committed to teaching our kids common sense, right? This week, I set out a ladder for my son, and I said, hey, we're going to climb this ladder together. So when you climb a ladder, three points of contact, two feet, one hand, or two hands, one feet. It's just good common sense. And so we climbed the ladder, and he actually got a lot higher than I thought he was going to get. And it's great. It's good common sense. But as dads, we need to teach them uncommon sense as well, the spiritual stuff, the stuff that most people don't understand. So don't just teach them common sense, teach them uncommon sense. Here's some uncommon sense. There are consequences for sin. Be clear on that. One of the greatest reasons we discipline our children in the here and now is so that they get a taste of the consequences of sin and realize there's eternal consequences for sin and then they turn to Jesus. So be clear on there's consequences for sin. Be clear on what sin even is. There's a lot of ambiguity today about, oh, that's sin. Maybe that's sin for you, not sin for me. Maybe the culture defines sin. Be clear on what sin is. It's actually fairly simple. There's like lists of sins in the Bible that you can go to, and it's pretty clear if you just want to read it. So keep it clear what sin is. Also make clear that sin is primarily an offense against God, not just the specific types of sin, but more generally, sin is an offense against God. This is important, I've found, in my own relationship with my kids. A good dad, when kids fight, says, okay, kids, somebody's got to say sorry. Let's, let's say sorry, right? Okay, say sorry. Sorry, and hopefully they mean it, right? Say sorry, sorry, and hopefully they mean it. But I can tell you, probably like at least nine times out of ten more than that, I forget to even say, hey, guys, you sinned against God. You sinned against your sibling, but you sinned against God. Did you say sorry to God for that? Hey, that's... That's important if our sin is primarily an offense against God. Are we as dads reminding our kids, say sorry to God, like come before and confess your sins to God. Be clear that works will not save them. It's easy in the church for your kids, if your kids are growing up in the church, to find works a good way to kind of gain reputation. Hey, good job, they'll get reward, they'll get affirmation. But good works do not save we got to be so crystal clear with our kids on that. Be clear that Jesus, by his grace, saves. If we're going to be experts on anything, let's be experts on the grace of God and understand what that is and teach that to our kids. One Christian author, he's given good instruction for parents in saying this. He said, you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. You like write that down and chew on that for a little while. It's helpful. You can't ask the law to do in your kids. Parents, you like to give the law to your kids. I love to give the law to my kids. You must, you must, you must. But you can't ask that to do what grace can only accomplish. The law is there to show them they're a sinner, not to save them. To show them of their need of a savior, to show them a need, their need of God's grace. So be clear. Dads, if this sounds to you, you're like, man, that's a lot of things to remember. That's complex and I don't get that. 
Don't make it more complex than it needs to be. Some of you have heard of the, the KISS principle, right? So keep it simple, servant, or as we say around here, keep it simple, steward, right? The right S. Make sure it doesn't come out. That KISS principle. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be, guys. It's not complicated. Challenging, but it's not complicated. There's one God we serve. There's one book, one revelation he's given us. Stick to it. Don't get waylaid by all the other things. Keep it simple, servant. Second, as we look in verse 8, the wise and godly father looks at the long game. So he's not only clear-headed about how God's world works, but he looks at the long game. He thinks about the future. Not just like tomorrow, but eternity. Galatians 6 verse 8 says this, For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The flesh, that's a term that's used by New Testament writers to refer to the sinful human nature. At times, if in the context it is appropriate, it refers to like the literal physical body. But generally speaking, he's re- what they're referring to is the sinful nature. Not to say all things physical are bad. This is talking about the part of our nature, our psychology, our physical nature that is opposed to the work of God, to the spirit. So when he's talking about the flesh and sowing to the flesh, that's defining for you what the flesh is. Then he says the spirit, sowing to the spirit. The spirit's capitalized. If you look in your Bible, look at the text, it's capitalized. That means it's referring to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so the analogy here of sowing, this is like an, a farming analogy. And if you're not a farmer or, or don't like to garden, you might not get it the same way. But the idea is, what are you building your life upon? What are you submitting your life to? Are you submitting it to the flesh, to the sinful nature? or he's submitting it to the spirit. Sowing to the spirit reaps eternal life. That's because sowing and surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit by placing your faith in Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And contrasting that is sowing to the flesh, which reaps condemnation. So if you submit your life to the flesh, to the sinful nature, allow it to be master, you will You're going to underline will, like this is a law, this is true. You will reap corruption. You will reap corruption. Both of these results, corruption and eternal life, are not fully experienced right now. And this is where it's challenging because it's like the future. That's why dads, we got to play the long game. We got to look, hey, in eternity, what's going to matter? Certain elements are given to us in this life. John 17, you can read there, Jesus says that eternal life is to know the Father. And so there's a sense in which you have eternal life now because you know the Father, but you only know him in part, not fully. Like when Jesus returns or we die and pass on, then we're going to know fully. So we experience in part. And corruption, there may be elements of corruption now, but it's nothing compared to what you will face if you rely on the flesh, feed the flesh for the rest of your life, ignore the Holy Spirit, You're going to wake up in eternity and it's not going to be pretty. There's going to be corruption. So right now, looks can be deceiving. You know what? If you were to line up 100 Christians and 100 unbelievers, you wouldn't necessarily be able to say, oh, it looks like they're enjoying eternal life right now. Like they're enjoying the good life right now to the Christians and those reaping corruption. Oh, their life sucks. It might actually be reversed. It often is reversed. The Bible actually promises that you will face hardship and persecution People are going to make fun of you for being a Christian. 
for following Jesus, for sowing to the Spirit, you're going to have to say no to a ton of things that the world says yes to, but it's worth it in the end. You will have joy now, but your joy might actually come more from persecution than from enjoying the large life that everybody's looking for. Just, just last week, I was walking down the street in our neighborhood, pretty calm neighborhood normally, and I was walking down the sidewalk, pushing my stroller with my youngest son. Nobody else around. It was the early evening, just minding my own business, and a, a, a vehicle drives by, rolls the windows down, and a bunch of guys yell profanity at me. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm on the sidewalk. I'm not, I'm not on the road. I'm not like, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, at least. And they drove off, and I'm kind of like, what's going on? then I realized I'm wearing one of my harvest shirts that has big, bold letters on the back that says dead to Christ or dead to sin, but alive to Christ, right? And I'm thinking, I just got persecuted. I think I just got persecuted. <laughs> I think that was actually persecution for being a Christian. And I honestly, it was like this exciting thought, like, hey, I think that was like, cool. I don't know what else it could be. So I'm, I'm guessing, right? And that's, that's hopefully where our joy comes from. I wish I could say it's always like that. But look at Acts 5, verses 40 and 41. This is describing how the religious leaders treated early followers of Jesus, these early disciples that went in and taught, even though they weren't supposed to. It says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It sucks to suffer insults and injury when you do something stupid. <laughs> when you cut somebody off in traffic and they give you the finger, that sucks. That's just not cool, right? Because you're like, oh man, I am a little bit of an idiot. But when you suffer for being a Christian, that's awesome. That is good. That is good. Keep in light the eyes of eternity. In eternity, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And who cares what other people think and whatever other people do? Suffering for the good is awesome. Reaping what we sow won't happen overnight though. And that's why many of us get off track because delayed gratification is difficult. But make no mistake, God's not fooled. What you sow, you will reap. Dads, what you sow, you will reap. What your kids sow, they will reap. Looking at Galatians 5 verses 16 to 24, we're just going to back up a little bit there. We're getting a clear picture of what the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh in this life are. Okay, so we're talking eternal life and eternal corruption in terms of long term. There are some this life rewards of both the fruit or the flesh. Look at this, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You can pause there for a second. If you're ever struggling with gratifying the desires of the flesh, you're like, I don't want to do that you have to seek to walk with the Spirit. There's no other way. You just can't do it. You can't like say, hey, I'm going to fight flesh myself. You won't work. It won't work. You got to go to walk with the Spirit. Verse 17, this is why. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And I'm going to read through this list slowly. The point of reading through it slowly is I want you to think to yourself, does my life, is my life characterized by these things? If it is, that's a warning sign this morning. This is a warning sign to you. 
there's some work that has to be done. You got to bring that to God. You got to seek to walk with the Spirit. Surrender your life to the Spirit. Okay, so if these stick out to you, underline them, circle them, whatever it is, make sure you're clear about what is in your life. Okay, works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's heavy stuff. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means those whose lives are characterized by those things, there's no repentance, no turning from it. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. You reap what you sow. This is not saying that if you're a Christian, you'll never sin again. First John tells us, hey, if you claim to be without sin, you're lying. We all know that. We see right through that. But there is a difference between your life being marked by it, defined by it, and this being something that you're battling by the Spirit of God. And so if your life is marked by it, this is the warning to you today. There's no fooling God. You will reap what you sow. If you're struggling against sin and you're like convicted, you're like, yes, I've been fighting this. That's a good sign. And I say to you, continue to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you won't, desire, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. I'll read through this one slow and Lord willing, many of you will say, yes, I see, I see that. Not as fully as I hope to see it, but it's there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I hope you read through that and were encouraged to say, hey, the Spirit of God's doing something in me. And if you read through and you're like, none of those apply, then I say, submit your life to the Spirit because God can start to do that work in you. As fathers, it's so important that we first and foremost ensure we are daily walking with the Lord, that we're walking by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh because it starts with us. If you want to give a gift to your children, give the gift of your life being passionately sold out, committed to the Lord. Say, I'm not going to walk in the flesh. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Do that for your family. Do it for God's glory ultimately. I don't know about you, but I look at a pet list, list like the fruit of the Spirit and I'm tempted to look and say, yeah, I want more of that. I want more of that. I want more kindness. I want more joy. I want more peace, patience. I want that. I'm going to go get me some of that. And I go and I use fleshly means to produce spiritual fruit, but it doesn't actually work that way, right? If you try to be more patient, more kind, so that you can proudly say, I'm a, I'm a patient guy. You know, I'm actually a pretty humble guy. When you do that, when you try to feed the flesh in order to get the spirit, it does not work. We should know that, right? Pride will motivate a ton of false fruit. 
Don't be fooled. God's not fooled. Pride will motivate a ton of false fruit. If you want true spiritual fruit, though, if you see that list and you're like, I want it, you got to go to the Spirit. You have to sow to the Spirit. You have to walk with the Spirit. You have to go to God. The same is true in where you're trying to lead your children. This is so important. If we daily point them back to God as the source and encourage them to grow in their personal relationship with him, looking to eternity for the reward, if we don't do those things, we're doomed to fail. If we do them, by God's grace, we're going to see fruit in the lives of our children. Here's a challenge I'm going to admit to, though. I want the best for my kids. I want my kids to succeed. I want my kids to be the best at everything, right? I want them to be super good looking, super athletic, super good followers of Jesus, everything. I want it all for them. In my flesh, I've realized I want Jesus and the world for my kids. I want them to have every opportunity I had and more. But when God helps me to fix my eyes on eternity, then I'm like, oh man, they can't have both. My kids can't get both Jesus and the world. So which am I encouraging in them? Am I encouraging, hey, love the world, love the world. I want you to do better in the world. Or am I encouraging first and foremost, hey, sow to the spirit. That's what reaps. That's what reaps the reward we're going for. I can't encourage a love for the ways of the world and encourage a love for God because they're directly opposed to one another. So I ask you today and ask myself, am I helping them, my children, to keep their eyes on eternity or is it on today? Is my goal to produce half-hearted Christians, half-hearted disciples, or is my goal to produce followers of Jesus that will be insulted, that will suffer persecution, that will suffer hardship, maybe even give their life for the Lord? Is that my goal? I hope that's my goal. I hope that's your goal. A man by the name of Ray Ortland, he's a, a pastor, and his dad, who's also Ray Ortland Sr., was also a pastor. And this senior pastor was saying to his son, he was saying, Look, son, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. Be wholehearted for him. That's awesome. Why would you get involved in the race, the spiritual pursuit of following Jesus, only to be like a half-hearted, mediocre Christian? You know enough to be like, oh, I feel guilty each week, but you don't know the reward of walking in intimacy with God. That's available for you. Be wholehearted for him. Shape your children so that they also walk wholeheartedly for the Lord. That's what we're aiming for. Keeping eternity in perspective as we shape our families for God's glory. The final perspective, the final characteristic of a wise and godly father is this. He does the right thing and he does it over and over and over and over and over again. Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10. Look here. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I have to just pause and say, I am very encouraged by the men of Harvest, specifically the dads, who have shown me an example of what it is to look at the long game, to think about eternity, by the, the dads and the men in this room even who have looked at what it is to follow God's word, who have looked at God's word and they're teaching that to their children. Many of you are on the right track and are doing that and have been a huge encouragement to me and a huge encouragement to others. 
the message for you this morning is not, hey, radical change, big right turn coming up ahead. The message for you is keep on doing it. Don't quit. Don't grow weary. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Do the right thing over and over and over again. Doesn't matter if everybody's going the other way. Do the right thing. Doesn't matter if you've done it for 30 years. Do the right thing. Doesn't matter if you're tired. Do the right thing. Don't grow weary. Do good. That's what we're going for. To persistently, consistently continue in what we've been convinced of. Paul needed to remind the Galatians to not grow weary of doing the right thing. And we need the same reminder here. When Paul's saying it, he's saying, do the right thing. And he probably has a few things in mind specifically. Galatians 6 verse 1, he talks to his, his brothers and he says, hey, when somebody sins, we need, to go and, we need to go and address it lovingly. Don't fall into the sin, but lovingly address it, right? Gently re- address the sin. So that's one way we can do good to others of the household of faith is address the sin, right? If you love somebody, you don't just let them walk off doing whatever. You care about their, their soul, their eternal uh, destiny. So we do that. He probably also had in mind Galatians 6 two, bearing with one another their burdens, right? We bear each other's burdens. We're family. So we do that for one another. More generally, he has this idea of walking in the spirit. That's what it is to do good. And his primary focus is on the household of faith. That's believers. That's, that's us here today. Guys, dads, you need to pour into the household of faith doing good. God's called us to it. Do it again and again and again. When it's hard, do it. Yesterday's sowing doesn't excuse today's laziness, right? You can say, yesterday's obedience entitles me to a cheat day, but it doesn't. Yesterday's obedience does not entitle you to cheat days. That might work in the gym. I don't know, but that doesn't work in spiritual walk, right? We don't get to say, I've served the church and I've served my fellow Christians for 40 years. I'm retiring. It's time for me. It's time for the flesh. No, that's not the way. Continue to do good. Some of you have done good for the household of faith for like twice as long as I've been around. Keep going. That's the message for you. Keep going. You don't get to retire. It's an awesome privilege and there will be a reward. On a very small scale, dads, we know it's necessary to keep doing the right things because we do it every day. Small things like you're like, kids, play, say please and thank you. Please, thank you. Okay, kids, when somebody talks to you, look them in the eye, right? Or kids, turn off the lights, right? You tell your kids, I don't know, 60,000 times probably like in their course of their lifetime to do the right thing. You tell them the same thing over and over again. You wonder, does this make a difference? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. They're going to carry those into their parenting skills and they're going to say the same things, right? And now we turn off the lights. And I'm like, the lights don't even cost us that much money. It's not like LED bulbs are cheap. Come on, oh, don't worry about the lights. Okay, but say please or thank you, right? So we got to keep doing the right thing over and over again. We recognize that on a small scale. Do we recognize that on the large scale? Don't give up. It's worth it. Don't give up. It's worth it. It's worth it to consistently participate in your church family, in small group, in these gatherings. I use the word participate, not attend. Attending doesn't do a whole lot of good if you don't participate, if you don't worship, if you don't encourage, if you don't lift each other up. The first reason it's so important to gather here is because when you go try to go solo, it's really hard to endure. It's really easy to grow weary, to be discouraged. 
And so we got to stir each other up to good works. Just a couple of months ago, I was involved in a ministry that was at the time pretty discouraging to me, honestly. And I was on a call with my brother, Matthew, and I was chatting with him and it just kind of came up and I was explaining the situation. And he's like, you got to keep going, man. You got to keep doing it. I'm like, ah, I know. Okay. Okay. Months later, I can look back and say, I'm so thankful for that encouragement that like, hey, let's just do the right thing, man. You got to keep doing. God led you to start this. You got to finish it. Because now we can say, look back and say, God actually worked in great ways that would not, I would not have seen if I just tossed in the towel and been like, you know what? Let's try something else. There's a reward in it. Be faithful. Keep doing it. So first we gather together here because it's way too easy to give up on our own. Second reason though is it's actually a command here to do good to the household of faith. You can't do good to the household of faith when you don't see the household of faith, when you're not part of the household of faith. So we need to gather together to participate and to be able to do that good to each other. If you aren't gathering with believers regularly, you are growing weary of doing good. And dads, you need this. You need other men around you. You need to encourage other men. And I hope you're doing that. And I hope you felt how that can just energize you to keep going, keep doing the right thing. When I read this passage, the first thing I tend to think about is myself. It's a pretty selfish thing, but it's, it's true. When I read this passage, don't grow weary of doing good. Who's the first person I think about who's maybe growing weary? <laughs> Me. I'm like, am I growing weary? Evaluating, am I growing weary? Yeah, I feel weary. It's hard being a dad. It's hard being a pastor. It's hard being fill in the blank. It's hard. It's hard. Oh man, I'm weary. But how about we just step back for a second and ask ourselves, are other people weary of doing good? Are other people here this morning weary of doing good? You might not realize it, but there's people here today that they may be back, they may not be back here ever again because they're weary. They're isolated. They've perhaps lost vision. They're just exhausted. They've maybe served and served and served and served and they're just there's no thanks, no encouragement, even though that's not the reason why we serve. But they're at a point where they're very weary. They're ready to throw in the towel. There may even be people here this morning that are ready to throw the towel in on the, the Christian faith thing. They're like, this is just too hard. My question to you is this. If you take a look around you at the five or 10 people around you, are you content if even one of the 10 people sitting around you didn't show up again because they're weary? Are you okay with that? I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that at all. There's some people here though that honestly, it's taken everything that they've got to be here this morning and they are discouraged in the faith. They are almost wiped out. And our call is to not grow weary ourselves and to do good. So let's go and encourage them. Let's ask them, hey, how can we pray for you? We're not going to fix their problem. We're going to say, hey, so to the spirit. There's a reward. There's a reward. Some of you are out there thinking, I don't know if there's a reward in all this. Hey, there's a reward. Don't be fooled. God's not mocked. He sees what you're doing for his glory. And there's a reward in that. It's awesome. And so hold on, stick with it. That's why I was drawn to this passage this morning. My aim is to encourage each one of you, specifically fathers, to stick with it faithfully. Don't give up. 
I know some of you walk in here week after week and look around and you're like, I am not like the rest of them. I do not fit. They seem to have all this joy and life is working great for them and it's together. And I'm like kind of the odd duck out. I'm just saying, first of all, that's probably not true. And second of all, I'm going to come alongside you and say, so to the spirit, so to the spirit. We understand it's challenging. Your pain is our pain if you'll let us share it. So share it with us and let our joy be your joy or our pain be your pain in that sense. We share it as family. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Keep doing the right thing over, 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 over again. It's little by little you'll see progress, but you're not going to see the full installment of it until eternity. Recently, I was working on my basement. Many of you have I've talked to in the past year. I've heard way too much about my basement and renovations in the basement, but I got to share one story about it. So in my basement, we had to put this perimeter drain in because of all the flooding in South Windsor. So part of the perimeter drain, I was, I was removing concrete. And so I would take the concrete, chip it all up, and then take it out in these five-gallon pails. And so I would take five-gallon pails up the stairs and like hundreds of pails out of the basement. Halfway through, you learn, like, don't ask yourself on the way up the stairs, why am I doing this? Because that's just like a bad idea. You're like, this, is, this isn't doing anything. You just got to like turn a switch in your head and say, it's the right thing. I got to do it. Just one more set of pails. One more set of pails. One more set of pails. And that's how it can be in the spiritual life where you're like, don't ask yourself too many why questions. Why is this happening? What's going on? Ask yourself, hey, this is what God's called me to do. This is the right thing to do. I'm doing it. I'm doing it again and again and again and again. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm just going to keep doing it and encourage others with that. And little by little, you'll see God work through that. It's going to take work. When we talk about justification, salvation is one part justification, this part where we were made legally right in God's eyes. God does that work, right? Jesus died on the cross. You place your faith in him. Your identity is changed. But the process of maturing into who God's designed you to be, that process called sanctification, takes some real, honest, hard work. Enabled by God's grace, but you got to work for it. There is no transformation like that without perspiration. And that's the way God set it up to be. It's the way he's designed it. So I'm not saying there's no work to it. I'm saying keep doing it. Don't grow weary. Perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't built your life on the spirit. You haven't sown to the spirit. You haven't ever sown good seed because you haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ. And you may feel like it's too late. Like, look at how far ahead they are. I'm never going to catch up. I'm going to be like Mr. Baby Christian with no idea of what to do. And you may have to start at the bottom rung for sure. But by God's grace, he can wipe away your entire past. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. All of your sinful sowing to the flesh is done with. It's covered. That's awesome gift that God's given you. And get this, he can restore the years that you've wasted chasing the flesh And he can actually make the remainder, whatever you give to him as the remainder, incredibly fruitful for his glory. Absolutely opportunity there. Don't turn it down. Don't think it's too late. The planting season's over. The planting season is not over. You've got a breath. You've got today. The planting season's not over. So to the spirit. Surrender your life to the spirit. So dads, Galatians gives us a picture of a wise and godly father, one who's clear-headed, He's like, this is how God's world works. I'm not fooled by it, and I'm not trying to fool God. A godly and wise dad looks at the long, long-term, long haul. Hey, where is this leading in eternity? And he plays to that. 
He understands that. And a godly and wise dad is one who does the right thing over and over and over and over again, enabled by God's grace and for his glory. So let's be committed to that. And let's encourage one another as we go out of here. Look for someone when you leave that you can encourage and just say, keep going, keep going. You're doing the right thing, keep going. Or somebody who's not doing the right thing, hey, gently straighten you out. Or somebody who's never even encountered Jesus, hey, it's not too late. Today is the day. You heard it, let's do something about it. 